and welcome to the Beef Edge, the Chagas Beef Podcast, for all your latest news, information and advice for Irish beef farmers. I'm Catherine Egan, and with just over 3% of herds in Ireland going down with TB in any given year, I'm joined by Philip Breslin, Superintending Veterinary Inspector with the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine, to discuss all things related to bovine TB. I first ask Philip, what is bovine TB? Okay, bovine TB is a disease primarily of the lungs and bovine means that it's in cattle. TB is tuberculosis and tuberculosis is a disease that affects many different species of animal and also man. And it was a big problem in Ireland back um, prior to the development of modern antibiotics. So um, all TBs in, in animals and man are not caused by the same bug. So there are slightly slight differences in the bug but they're all from the mycobacterium family. So mycobacterium bovis is the one that causes TB in cattle. So it uh, infects the animal and it's really slow growing. And um, the animal's uh, immune system is trying to fight against it. And over time, and the rate of growth can vary differently in different individuals. Over time, it will eventually cause a lot of abscessation, mostly in the lungs, but it can also happen in the, in the, in the intestines and in the gut and in the head. And uh, if these animals weren't tested and removed, they would eventually end up as pining animals like they were prior to the, to the, the advent of the, of the bovine TB eradication scheme. So that's what bovine TB is. We don't have clinical TB very much nowadays because of the scheme, but um, the bug that causes it is quite widespread and it's endemic in Ireland. I suppose every cattle farmer in the country is all too familiar with the annual herd test. Why do farmers have to do a herd test every year? Okay, well, as I said, the, 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 the disease is, is endemic in Ireland. So they have to do a herd test every year so we can continue to uh, eliminate their herd from the, the group of herds that have disease. So to see if there are diseased animals in their herds. So... Uh, we have an annual herd test, which every um, herd in the country has to do. But we also have different types of tests, like contiguous tests and reactor retests that um, herds that have a specific risk have to do as well. So every year is, is the optimal amount of time. Any longer than a year in a country like Ireland, where there's a lot of disease, would allow the disease to uh, spread too much. And uh, more regular than a year, unless there's a specific risk issue uh, whereby there should be more tests done than an annual tests would be too much in terms of the business continuity for the farmers. So the annual test is the, the optimal um, interval for the test. And how does the herd test actually work? Okay, so the herd test that we use is the skin test. Um, there are a few different types of tests uh, for TB. Um, there are a couple of different types of blood tests, but the skin test is a, a, a test that has characteristics which makes it ideal for a, for a screening test. It's a very specific test. And what does that mean? Well, that means that only about one in 5,000 of animals that are tested will test positive if they don't have disease. So that's actually a very good rate for a test for any disease in animal or man. So that's quite accurate. One of the um, shortcomings with regard to the skin test is that if individuals, if animals have the disease, it probably will only identify about eight in 10 of those. 
So that's one of the drawbacks of the, of the test. What it relies on is the cell-mediated immunity of the animal. So this is a different type of immune reaction than you get in most other diseases. For example, in brucellosis, we measure antibodies and antibodies are measured in a lot of disease diagnostic tests. But antibodies are not produced in TB until an animal is infected for a long period of time. That's why we rely on this cell-mediated response skin test. We have another blood test there that also measures the cell-mediated response. It's called the gamma interferon test. It's not as specific as the skin test. So you will get a higher number of false positives. And that's why we don't use it as the, as the screening test. But when we know we have disease in a herd, that's when we use the gamma interferon test because it has, has a higher sensitivity. So remember those 10 infected animals that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, the skin test will only identify at best, maybe about eight of those, but the gamma interferon test will identify nine or more of those. So it will identify more animals that actually have the disease. So there are different tools in terms of testing and we use them in the most appropriate way for the tool. And how soon can TB in cattle be detected after infection would occur? Well, actually, that's a point I should have mentioned as well when I, when I was comparing the tests. Because in the, when an animal becomes infected at the point of infection, the, the skin test will probably identify disease in that animal about six to eight weeks afterwards. With regard to the, the, the um, gamma interferon test, it will identify animals much earlier. So again, that's why it's useful when we know there's TB in a herd. Now, there's another way of detecting TB. It's not a test, but it's detecting the disease at post-mortem examination. And that won't identify animals in general. They have to have what's called a visible lesion. So, you know, an abscess that you can see with the naked eye. And that won't be uh, detected until much further in the disease process. So we're talking about months there. So we're talking about uh, a few weeks for the gamma interferon, uh, six to eight weeks for the skin test, and then we're going into months for actually being able to see an animal with disease at postmortem. Philip, a query farmers often have is to why reactors didn't have lesions in the factory. Okay, and that's a, that's a good question, Catherine, because, you know, say a farmer has five reactors, they go to the factory, they hear back that only one or two of the animals had gross visible lesions. Okay, so this comes back, you know, to what I was saying about how soon the tests will work after infection. So the skin test is a very good test. You're only going to have a false positive in one in 5,000, okay? The problem with it, remember, is that it doesn't identify enough of diseased animals. So uh, that's a very good test in relation to when it's positive. The animals go to the factory. They don't have lesions. Why? Because in order for a lesion to develop, it'll start off as microscopic, okay? And then it might be the size of a grain of salt, then a grain of sugar. It'll come up to a peanut size. And when it gets up to about a, a, the size of a grape, that's when, you know, you have a good chance of slicing through it at postmortem in the factory and actually seeing it. So just because you can't see that little abscess and that you would happen to put your knife through it doesn't mean that it's not there, okay? So you can't uh, confirm that, uh, um, that a test isn't very good by using a test that you know is inferior to it. So the, the, uh, the, um, the animals uh, that are reactors, 
you know, they, they are, they are uh, um, going to be identified six to eight weeks. You're not going to see visible lesions until months afterwards. And what is the process for getting compensated for those reactors that you mentioned? Okay, so when an animal is a reactor, the, uh, the department contacts the farmer and, you know, there's a, there's a, a list of approved uh, independent valuers and the farmer is able to choose a valuer off that list. And then when uh, the farmers choose the valuer, the valuer goes out and values the reactors. Uh, the farmer is then, um, can then accept the valuation, um, whereby they, they contact the department and they accept it. But if they don't accept the valuation, then a second valuer will value the animals. So that's how that process works. And then when the valuation is agreed, the, the, the reactor is removed. And badgers have been shown to play an important role in spreading TB to cattle in Ireland. And the department are responsible for removing badgers from areas where there has been severe TB outbreaks. And they also introduced a vaccination program back in 2002. Can you tell me more about these control options? Badgers have been shown to play an important role. Uh, there, was a, there were a lot of research projects down uh, at, at about the turn of the century that demonstrated conclusively that uh, badgers are involved in spreading TB to cattle. At the time, uh, the Department of Agriculture brought in a badger culling program. Now, badgers are a, are, are a protected species. So, you know, this can't be a unilateral introduction. It's uh, licensed by the National Parks and Wildlife Service. And the Department of Agriculture reports to the National Parks and Wildlife Service every year in relation to, um, to this uh, scheme. Yes, so whenever there's a, a high-risk TB breakdown, uh, the badgers are, are, are removed uh, around the farm that has that high-risk breakdown for, um, for, in a, for about one and a half kilometers. Now, in relation to the um, vaccination, the department uh, initiated research back about 11 years ago, uh, looking into uh, whether vaccine would work to stop spread from badgers to badgers. And uh, that research was successful. And then the department um, rolled out the vaccination into several trial areas around the country to see would vaccinating badgers be as successful as removing badgers in terms of keeping TB, TB levels down in cattle. And the results of those trials were also very positive. So then the department rolled out vaccination in 2018 uh, around the country. So the department now is vaccinating badgers to prevent cattle getting uh, infected with TB. And then where there is TB, the department is, um, is removing badgers as we always have done. And we will do this in those areas that have already switched to vaccination, as well as the areas that uh, haven't switched to vaccination yet. So the department is vaccinating to protect cattle and removing badgers where there's evidence of spread to cattle. And in relation to deer, which can also be infected by TB, and pass infection onto cattle, what are the department doing in relation to deer? So in relation to deer, deer aren't a protected species, unlike badgers. So um, um, the department supports um, the, the, the inspection of any deer by having them post-mortemed for, for free in our regional veterinary labs. Um, the passing of, of infection of TB from deer to cattle doesn't happen at the rates that it happens um, uh, from badgers to cattle. It can be a problem where there's a very high density of deer and a high prevalence of disease like there is in Wicklow. 
but apart from uh, very localized issues, um, there is no evidence in, in uh, the rest of the country for, for very much spread from deer to cattle. And Philip, is there a greater risk after a breakdown in a herd of contracting TB? Well, as I mentioned earlier, the, um, the skin test is going to identify uh, about eight, eight out of 10 animals that have TB. And then the gamma interferon test is a little bit better at nine out of 10. But both of these tests, and there are no other uh, tests better than them for TB, are going to uh, miss animals that have TB uh, in the herd. So um, herds uh, that uh, become de-restricted after two clear tests, they're, they're legally entitled to trade now, and that's, um, that's for business continuity reasons. But a proportion of those herds will still have uh, TB in their herds. So, um, so herds that have had a breakdown, there is a risk that those herds will have further breakdowns again. Some of that risk has to do with TB being left behind in the herd. And some of that risk has to do with, you know, the, the practices of the herd. Maybe it's a herd that finishes cattle and they're constantly buying in animals. And, you know, because of the levels of TB in Ireland, herds that buy in a lot of animals are going to, to buy in more TB again. So that's why herds that um, have uh, become de-restrictive for TB have a risk of having TB in the future. And if you have uh, two reactors or more, you know, about 30% of those herds are going to break down again within three years. So, you know, part of our scheme is to try to uh, identify those herds that have a, have, have a higher risk for recurrence. And we would like to be able to um, support those herds to a greater degree in terms of not getting TB again in the future. Sadly, too many herds have been destroyed by TB across the country. What is the proposed new strategy to eradicate TB by the department? Okay, so the, the, the Department of Agriculture, the minister um, will um, release the new TB strategy uh, in the coming weeks, probably. And the strategy is based on the deliberations and the report of the TB forum. So the TB forum is a stakeholders forum. The Department of Agriculture is represented uh, farming bodies, um, there are about five, five farming bodies on it, and there are business representatives uh, as well uh, from the dairy and the meat industry. So they have been um, debating uh, different measures that can be taken to reduce uh, future risk of TB in Ireland. And these, uh, these measures are going to form um, part of the new TB strategy. So the, what is the strategy going to try to target in terms of um, TB spread? Well, I've mentioned uh, risk of recurrence there already in terms of uh, t uh, herds having breakdowns again after having had breakdowns. So that's one thing that's going to target. Uh, herds that have really long breakdowns. So we call those chronic breakdowns that go on for a long period of time. Going to target that. New measures for inconclusives. Um, new measures in terms of biosecurity and advice for farmers and enabling farmers to make biosecurity decisions based on keeping the risks out of their herds. Um, there are a few things in there in the strategy about governance in relation, in relation to, the, to the TB forum itself and how it will oversee the TB eradication scheme in future years. So they're sort of the, the main points in the, in the TB strategy that we, we can expect. And finally, what steps can farmers take 
to reduce the risk of TB in their herd? Oh, yes, Catherine, that's, a, that's an interesting one because, you know, research has shown over the years that, you know, that what the risks for TB are and that we understand what those risks are. And um, what are they? Well, introduction of, of animals is a risk, especially if the animals have been in previous breakdowns or if they've had a lot of moves. That's already been demonstrated. Uh, animals that have moved between a lot of herds are a higher risk. Um, animals within the herd as well, animals that were previously inconclusive, again, previously present in a breakdown. That is, you know, they've been exposed to TB infected animals at some stage in their life. They're a risk. Older animals are a risk because the, the, the tests don't work as well in older animals. You know, their immune system isn't as strong and we're, we're relying on the immune system for the test to work. There's an area risk then as well. So certain areas are worse than others. And we've already mentioned TB herds going down again. So how can farmers address those risks? Well, in relation to the cattle in their herd, you know, they can um, ensure that they know what level of risk they're buying when they're buying in. So ask about the TB history of the herd when you're buying animals. Uh, in terms of contract rearing, so that's quite common nowadays, farmers can address the risk by, you know, knowing, understanding what the area and the herd risk is where their heifers are going or if they're bringing in heifers where they're coming from and also if you have um, someone rearing your heifers and they're just rearing your heifers then your heifers are at less of a risk of getting exposed to TB than if they're rearing heifers for many different herds. Keeping your herd closed you know that's good biosecurity across across any disease and it'll apply to 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 um, to TB as well. And there's a new biosecurity strategy uh, launched this week. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the precepts in that will apply across all diseases. Mixing groups of, of animals in your farm can increase the risk within your farm. Uh, you can also breed for resistance. And I was talking to, um, to farmers in Cork last week at a Chagas meeting, and I went through some of the, the figures for bovine TB resistance in the ICBFs list. And you can get really good EBI uh, figures there um, uh, in the dairy side and good terminal or maternal figures on the, on the, um, the suckler side and yet get really good TB figures as well. So, you know, the difference between the, the best 5% and the, and the worst uh, 10% in terms of TB progeny getting TB in a breakdown you know, are quite stark, but you can, you can reduce those by getting just as good EBIs and, and pick the best um, TB animals. So that's how you'd eliminate uh, the risk in, in relation to cattle, in relation to residual TB, that's TB that's in your herd from when you last had a breakdown. You know, you can go back to the cattle again, try and get rid of the animals that were in your breakdown as you move further away from it. So, you know, you might be able to cull some of those cows when you're five or six years out from a breakdown. Uh, cull any animals that were previously inconclusive. Try and get rid of your older animals as you go along. Um, do good cleansing and disinfection if you've had TB. Good slurry storage, long period of time. TB is a very resilient bug in the environment. It can live for months. So the longer the slurry is, is stored and if it's put out in sunlight, that'll help to kill the TB in it. Um, you know, equipment that's coming into your yard, try to make sure it's cleansed and disinfected. 
Keep your feed areas well protected so that badgers can't access your feed areas and uh, that you're not feeding concentrates, you know, in a way that badgers can access them. You know, badgers infect cattle in two different ways. Either cattle come to the badgers, mostly at pasture, or the badgers come to the cattle, mostly in yards. So if you can stop badgers going to cattle or cattle going to badger places out on the the field by fencing off sets or badger latrines because they go to the toilet in the same areas all the time, you can uh, stop the transmission points between cattle and badger and then back to the yard again. You know, put skirting on the bottom of your gates, keep your feet secure, don't give a free feed to badgers that they're going to return all the time. And if you know of any sets or on your land, please let the department know because, you know, when we know where badgers are, we're able to our, our scheme in, in relation to badgers is going to be more effective. So let us know if there's any badger activity on your farm. So, and ma land management as well, you know, can be important in terms of decreasing your risk. Zero grazing, renting land where maybe fencing is poor and animals have access to, 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 to neighbors' cattle in terms of nose-to-nose -nose access, you know, any of that sort of thing that where you can reduce the, the interactions between different cattle is going to reduce your risk as well. Some very practical tips, Philip. Thank you very much for your in-depth insight into TB from a very different perspective. No problem, Catherine. Thanks very much for having us. That's all for this week's episode. And my thanks to Philip for joining me on the show. You can catch up on all other shows and interviews from the Beef Edge podcast on the Chagas website at chagas.ie. Or you can listen on Apple and Google podcasts as well as Spotify. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss a show. For all other updates from our beef programme, keep an eye on our Twitter and Facebook pages. Until next time, I'm Catherine Egan and thanks for listening.